This episode of Shrinking It Down was recorded April 27th, 2017. We are releasing it now as the conversation is still relevant today. Welcome to Shrinking It Down, Mental Health Made Simple. This is the show where we talk about really complex things in mental health and try to make them ridiculously simple. I'm Gene Bresson. And I'm Steve Schlossman. And with us today is uh, a member of the Clay Center, uh, Dr. Ellen Broughton, who is a chief child neuropsychologist at the Mass General Hospital and head of the Learning and Emotional Assessment Program but we're talking about why everybody after this election is so incredibly stressed out. Parents and teens are worried about their future, the future of the country, economics, uh, climate change, immigration. There's a lot of things. And people are so stressed out that when you go on TV, you see a lot of people screaming at each other. You see people divided and sitting on opposite sides of the fence and not really kind of talking with each other but talking and screaming at each other. Social media has gone crazy and the question really is, is this healthy for us as This sounds like a rhetorical adults? question, <laughs> actually. Right. Of course it's not We know healthy. the answer. It's yeah. not healthy for us or our kids. So the question we want to try to do is make sense of the situation and what we can do about it. Yeah. So that's the problem. So yeah. what, do you th what do you think? Um, Go ahead. I think that one of the issues here for everybody, no matter what their political beliefs is, is powerlessness. That I think all of the issues that you just brought up, we are really, as individuals, powerless to change. And anytime we feel that as human beings, it results in us feeling like a less sense of, of efficacy in the environment, which can lead to feeling down about ourselves or anxious. Or So I think that regardless, there's something embedded in what you're talking about that leads us to feel like we aren't the ones in control. Right. And then if the people in control are ones that we don't necessarily agree with, we feel even more well, powerless even, and perhaps true. other things too. But I would say even if we do agree with them, the idea that we can't get to them, you know, that we don't have even the possibility of having our views be heard. Which, by the way, I think we do have the possibility of having our views be heard, but we've somehow walked down this path where we've decided uh, as a culture th that we don't matter. And that's very unhealthy psychologically, like meaning, like uh, the sense of meaning. Meaning we as individuals don't matter, that we feel yeah, neglected or unheard. We're just or part of the great tide of salmon and whatever this metaphor is so going to fall why, apart. So why, why is everybody so angry and fearful? I mean, those are the, the two major emotions that I'm seeing, is angry and fearful and, mm -hmm. and powerless. Yeah. But I mean, anger and fear are like, they drove the election, didn't they? I mean, well, they've driven almost all of human behavior since humans have been humans. But it so, hasn't been, there have been times where there's been anger and fear, we haven't been as polarized. So there's, there's the difference. I think what we've taken neurobiologically, I think we've taken our frontal lobes out of the picture. So what you've got are just a bunch of primitive brains screaming at each other. Like, like Herman. Like Herman. 
Herman's, so, <laughs> so right here in Herman, that's gone. It's gone for us. And you see that on social so media. So what does the frontal lobe do? It tells, well, it does a lot of things. It allows us to juggle a bunch of different things at once. It allows us to uh, solve complex problems. And probably for the purposes of this discussion, most importantly, it allows us to resist what would otherwise be impulsive acts. So things that if you had five seconds, you'd regret doing it. Like, you know, someone cuts you off on the freeway. You kind of want to hang your middle finger out the window. But you've got this frontal lobe that says, that's a bad idea, don't do it. There's a lot of reasons not to do it. We've not allowed our frontal lobes to play a role for about the last 18 months as a culture. And it's not like we're all doing that, but I think uh, it's happening more that we're not doing that than that we are. And it's a pretty stark change. And so, I think part of it is ideologically driven, but I think a lot of it is media driven. I think we are surrounded by a media or a culture, social media culture, where it really appeals to that base part of our brain, the much yeah. more emotionally reactive part of our brain. So we wind up seeing a clip on TV that we're screaming at the television, as opposed to thoughtfully kind of either thinking about it or just kind of letting it go. Right. Like it's hard for any of us to sort of let things now go. Now are you saying that the media is one of the causes of this? Or a consequence of this? Uh, you know, I think the tail wags the dog and the dog <laughs> I, wags the tail. Yeah. Because like yeah, yeah, I remember I, screaming I to Walter Cronkite. I'm old enough to remember right, right. Uncle Walt. And I don't remember screaming. I remember screaming when the Watergate situation was happening. But it's interesting. Even back then, and we were all fired up, you know, back in the, in the early 70s about a lot of things. I don't remember it being as volatile or as stressful in everyday life the way it is now. Yes, well... So well, go ahead. Well, well, Walter Cronkite was on for 30 minutes a day. Now we can watch it. Right. I can put on the news when I get up in the morning. Before I get out of bed, I can flip on that TV. And when I come home at night, I can flip it on. And I can watch six hours of TV news. Or, fa or, tw or Twitter. Or Snapchat. Or Twitter. Yeah. That's right. As you're yeah, sitting on the, on the, in you're, the you're car. Getting you're tweets, like, you're getting And so it's, 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 it's almost addictive this sort of feeling like well, if I addictive. just know a little bit more. And sometimes it might be addictive because if I just know a little bit more, I'll feel better or yeah, I'll well, we ease define, my anxiety. Uh, or yeah. Absolutely. If we define addiction as that moment when the um, ventral tegmental area gets excited and a little when dopamine the, squirts the, the, out, the, the, the ventral tegmental area, that region of the brain that's responsible for making dopamine, when it squirts a little dopamine, it feels really good. It feels the same way when we gamble, when our sp favorite sports team wins, uh, when we watch a movie that you know excites us. That feeling is a really primitive feeling, but we will do an awful lot, and we'll even not eat in order to chase that feeling. And that feeling especially gets played to when we see um, people be mean to each other. And, and it's not a nice side of us, but we see it. And you especially, so that's what trolling is on the internet. That's what people are yelling at you. Just by Crossfires was such a popular show in the 90s and CNN. But, but and the, now you know, the, the media a amplifies all of this. But what else is going on nowadays in our world that might account for this? And then, you know, before too long, I want us to move to what we can do about this, if anything, not just for us as adults, but for our kids. But it, it, it's, it can't just be media. It's awfully hard not to um, point to the, the media, capital M, so all the different ways of getting media, as an ideologic factor, as a causative factor. I just, I think I told you guys, I just came back from a trip with my best friend from high school. He didn't vote the way I voted. We've never voted the same, but this is the most contentious election that I can remember in my voting history. We had to bridge that gap, and the media that we used to bridge it 
didn't work because his media wasn't my media. There wasn't an ounce of a Venn diagram there. There was no overlap. It was bizarre. So his world was entirely coherently cohesive, as was mine, but they were different. So one of the things we have to do is figure out how to get those two worlds to talk. I think we should spend more time looking at the media that my buddy looks at, and he should spend more time looking at the media that I look at, and then we should find some middle ground. Do you think that the two sides of the fence, so, you know, the, you know, whatever those two sides are, but I don't frankly think there are unified communities because I think there's, in the Republican Party, there's like all kinds of rifts, and in the Democratic, there are all kinds of rifts. People are polarized all over the place. But as shrinks, all of us, how do we understand what is polarizing well, everybody think, right now? What, what, what's, what, because this is a global phenomenon. I mean, if you look at right. nationalism as opposed to globalism. And populism. If, if you look at populism, yeah. if you look at what's happening not just in here, but Brexit, you know, th this is not the, just the French election. The French election. Yeah. It's, you know, in Turkey, in Syria. I mean, the world right now, there's a global phenomenon, I think, that's happening. That's that's that we've got to try to understand and intervene. I mean, as the only uh, parent here whose kids are still in school in high school, so I have one who's in high school, one who's in middle school. My older, both daughters, but especially my older daughter who's a junior, she's told my wife and myself to just turn off the radio and if we don't, to stop yelling at the radio. She she said, I got other things to worry about. There's you know, there's an AP bio test, there's prom, there's what I'm gonna do this summer. I, you guys have already messed up the world enough for me. Can you please just give it a break? I think we're making our kids a little crazy. And so, it, so maybe the kids have more wisdom than the adults right now. But they just, they just, it's like drinking out of a fire hydrant for them. It's not a good Well, they way. have a different mission right now. Their, yeah. their mission is to develop a sense of identity and inclusion and to form, to form adult, you know, the, what their persona is gonna be and I think, frankly, we as adults have distracted them from their tasks. I mean, we, we're, we're derailing our teenagers yeah. in particular. But I would also say, back to your question, is that I think we're distracting our, ourselves from our tasks, which identity is, is formed in adolescence, but it's constantly being reshaped as we age. I mean, we don't stop growing and developing when we're 22. And I think that there is some sort of a, my, my a developmental just, process my, with, yeah. with a, just a, adulthood that we haven't quite bridged. Um, and I forget how you asked that question, but what are some of the reasons why we're seeing this? And I think part of it is, who am I? I mean, some of the, I, some of the ideas about identity and are, have like bad roots, like, you know, racism. And, yeah. But some of it just has to do with like, I don't know who I am and what is my place in the world and how do I define myself as, do I find myself as my job that, that got cut or do I find, define myself as, I don't know. Like, it's, so I, I, think, I think, I don't know. I think we haven't all developed as, as a country, but even as individuals. Well, also, when we get rattled, we become less secure in whatever identity yes. we, we've chosen. Yes. So there's so, insecurity. Yeah, so, so given that we're rattled right now, we many, people on both sides of the aisle. First of all, those, those sides of the aisle are a little bit artificial, but people like to do it that way because it's easier for us to think of an us-them thing. Right. But no matter what side of that artificial us-them you're on, people are rattled right now on both sides. So I worry when we do things like this, have discussions like this, that people will think we're necessarily partisan 
And we are because we're human, but that's not what this is about. Yeah. This is about both sides are stressed right now. There's a lot of data to show that. Right. And it's worth keeping it. And it doesn't matter what political or ideological value you're taking, everybody's stressed out. Yeah. Stressed to the max. Everybody feels like they're under attack. Okay, under attack. Right. And, and back to that whole idea of identity, we form our, our identity by looking at others. Sometimes we see a reflection, sometimes we know right. that that's not who we want to be. And I think we aren't taking time to sort of think through those things. Like you said, we need to be talking to other people. That's, that's a way to, of kind of understanding ourselves so, so, so better, not just them. So interesting and part. So identity has to do with reflection. So who are our role models? You know, I mean, when you look on TV and on the media, I don't see very many folks out there that I would necessarily want to be like, but the way they're behaving. I see some people that I'd like to be like, but I, and then, then there's also the sense of, of feeling a part of something. Like, have we lost our sense of community? You know, because if we're taking these opposite points of view, is, is, that, is that also a part of identity? Is that also part of what we belong to? Yes, but I also think community implies that that's a static thing. That it's community is what it's always been for whatever generations, and I think we we don't think of community as something that develops too. Yeah, that's a very wise and, observation. I, and I think. so, yes. so you know, what is community? It's it's a it's a living, breathing thing, it's and we are not we're not yeah. like you said we're not using all of our all of our good decision making, our problem solving skills to kind of think that oh. We need to think of these things as as evolving entities, yeah. which so, so, which we don't. Right. So, That's given and we given think this is my community, not like yeah. So. Yeah, okay. So, given all of this, and without getting into the solutions, well, let's try. Let's try. What? So here we have these problems of identity, of feeling angry and afraid, and isolated, and insecure, and polarized, and ready to go to war. Uh, which we have to pray that we're not going to do that. But what can we do? What can we actually do to actually to help solve this problem? Well, I think one thing, I mean, our kids are telling us yeah. a lot yeah. right now. When our kids say, chill, I think it's important that we listen to so them. So bring the volume down. Yeah, bring the yeah. affect down. You have to tone things down. If your affect goes up, you're only talking to that primitive part of the brain. That's all that, it's just one I've never seen the news with more screaming on it. I mean, yeah. literally. I mean, no matter who you're watching, right, right, right. There's more time to fill, and they whatever the whatever yeah. the channel is. There's all kinds of screaming. So tone everything down. Okay, so that's one thing that we have. To, we all have to work towards. What else? I think filling that with things that actually fill you up. Um, you know, turning off the TV and doing things that you love. I know that a lot of us, I can even speak for myself, have stopped doing a lot of things that we used to love to do: play music, read. You exercise more because we we're stuck. We've been stuck in front of the TV for months now, and that just we need. So we need to turn it off and turn some other things up that give us pleasure, and self-efficacy and the ability to sort of feel some control in our lives. So, so would you say? Because I've been asked this by some um, parents who feel very strongly that they want their kids to understand that they can make a difference, and so they're like forcing them to go on these marches, which I've said didn't strike me like as a child psychiatrist. It just didn't seem like a good idea. Like if your kid wants to go, great. Prepare them because there's going to be some people who don't agree with you, but that's part of the world too. But more, you would never make them go. Like that feels kind of backwards to me. Yeah, it does. So, it does feel that way to me. So yeah. one of the pieces of advice we can give also is um, don't make 
our problems their problems. If they want to do something about it, then you want to sit down and have a very serious discussion because there have been some ugly moments in these marches and you'd like to help your child prepare for that. Well, I'd like to know what the kids think and feel about the issues involved in these marches. I mean, what does it mean to be a woman or to be a member of a minority group or to have certain beliefs or values that may not be so mainstream? Like, you know, or, or, you know I, I want to know what they're they, doing and they open might the not, door. So you want to have a discussion. I have a they, discussion. They might not know yet. That's, yeah. the, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. Because we, a discussion involves, you know, a mutual interaction and brainstorming and thinking about things and not not closing off the conversation or prematurely judging anything, but, necessar but not necessarily doing that, right? So when mom and dad then yell at the TV or the radio or whatever you happen to be listening Which to. Which I must say I do. Yell at Alexa on Echo, right? Um, <laughs> For the Celtics too, but I mean that. But that's different, right? Yeah. When we yell at the TV, we actually don't give them the room to sort of think about right. how they right. feel about this. It's we're going to do. They're feeling it. the emotion, and yeah. they're, and they're not they're not feeling an at, they're not they're not embedded in an atmosphere which is conducive for discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I mean, I from my daughter was telling me that there was at least one. I guess when kids, this is going to make me sound old, but when kids go to prom now, they do promposals rather than just say, "Hey, would you go to prom with me?" There's like a big to do and flowers and songs and all this, but one promposal cool. fell apart because the person asking the other person knew that they didn't vote the same, or their parents didn't vote the same, yeah. so they're not old enough to vote. That seems nutty to me. Yeah. It's funny, I, I heard Barack Obama speaking with a bunch of, of um, young leaders at, at some... Uh, the University of Chicago. At University of yeah. Chicago, right. And one of the things he, he said exactly that, he said, you know, and he had a young Republican there, and he had all different kinds of, you know, you know kids, but he was saying, you know, in the issues today, we all share more in common then it divides us, whether it's health care or climate or jobs or a safe place to live, you know, you know, curbing violence. I mean, and that's true. So why can't we have leadership that actually pulls us together? And he was looking to the young people right now, which I think is a pretty cool thing for, you know, our past president to be doing, saying, look, you guys, this is going to be in your hands. And can you can you help us get to this place? Which is a pretty pretty neat thing to do. Yeah, yeah. You started to say something. What? No, no. I just think that just points to. I, I think one of the things that that I think is difficult is that, in some ways, the the leadership in Washington is not driven by ideology, which can also be confusing. I think when when uh, I think that's one of the reasons why people are having trouble is we don't quite know what to expect. That may just be a symptom of what's going on for all of us, actually. And I'm not judging one way or the other, but it's but it can make us sort of feel like we don't know which which way it's going to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, when, when Daddy doesn't make sense, it's scary. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And I know yeah, that sounds so. So, because I, yeah. I I hear that from everybody. Well, we don't really know what's going to happen, and and we we like to know what's going to happen. That that's and, sort and of I don't like to know what's going to happen, but at least yeah. to have at least to have coherent, articulate points of view. I mean, I really look forward to ha having, you know, I remember when I was very young, you know, um, or much younger, watching um, a guy who I didn't really agree with, William F. Buckley Jr., who was very, who was on the opposite side of the fence than I. Really so. eloquent and really and smart. So articulate yeah. and yeah. so eloquent. I couldn't stop listening to him because he made so much sense and he made me think like, this really holds together. This really is a point of view that I can understand and I can not necessarily agree with everything, but 
it had a cohesive feeling to it, you know? Yeah. I haven't heard very many people, I mean, there's some news commentators that can do that nowadays, but, but you can't do it when you're screaming. So I think because we don't want to get too grandiose, like, like we can't fix this on our, right, like just the three yeah. of us, but we can model like for our kids, for our workplace, for, I, I can't remember the last day I came to work and didn't talk about politics. I, would, I think maybe I should stop that. Like, I, I don't think that's well, such a... Well, most of our, my patients, regardless of the age, are bringing it up. I mean, they're coming in... No, and that's one thing. You're not going to say we don't yeah. talk because no, that's no, bad no. for you. Right. But we, we're kind of pouring kerosene on that fire. Yeah, we and are. It would be an interesting experiment to see if we could take a bit of a break. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we can. Well, let's, let's try. So, we're at the point of our show where we do a tongue teaser, <laughs> monumental mental health myths. And that's where we pull myths out of Herman here. And Steve and I will try to answer them. And Ellen, you can feel free to answer okay. them too. So let me see if I can give Steve one. Oh. Why would you not be able to give that? <laughs> I'm happy. Mm -hmm. This is a monumental myth. It's sort of an anti-Beatles song. Um, we can't, cannot, all get along. We cannot all get along. And so instead of we can work it out, we can never work it out. Okay. So from a psychiatric, psychological point of view, why is that a myth? Uh, well, I hope it's not a myth because a lot of our business is based on <laughs> like getting folks in the room and figuring out how to help them yeah. get along with each other and with the world. So I think what we know is that there's... Um, not not to get too um, abstract here, but as we're we're wired to to connect with each other, like we're actually social beings, we're social creatures. We're not cats. As we, you say, we, we're, we're pack animals. Yeah, we're pack animals. <laughs> so I think helping people to remember how they need each other a lot more than they think they do, and that's not bad. That's not a sign of weakness. That that's actually a sign of strength. We do better when when we're with each other. And, and I I understand that there's a lot of uh, particulars that have to go into making that happen, but that message by itself is a really important one that might be getting lost. So this, I mean, it's obviously particularly relevant to today's discussion. Right. And would you pick a myth? For you? For me. Okay, yeah, sure. Well, these were all screened for both being myths and monumentally, at least that's I, my I understanding. So. Who screened okay. this? Um, this is interesting because it's a tad redundant. Is it the same one? Oh, the myth is we can't make a difference. This is not, um, well, it is like it. It's the corollary. It's a corollary of that one. Um, and the reason it's a myth is because, well, I, I'll, I'll tell you a little story about this. When the election happened and my, when my daughter called me in tears because she said, um, She's an environmentalist. She works as a, you know, for the Department of Public Health to save the world. She said, oh, you know, everything's lost. The environment's going to go down the tubes. We're going to lose everything that we've gained. And, you know, and, and there's, we have no power. We, we, there's nothing we can do about it. And my first comment was, you know, kiddo, when I grew up and I was in college, there was women's liberation hadn't happened. Certainly, LGBT wasn't on the radar screen. There was a Viet war in Vietnam that we were opposed to. Civil rights was like way, way, way back. And 
you know, out of the ashes rises the phoenix. And I said, with all due respects, you know, you're, you've been pretty privileged, you know, and I must say, you haven't, you know, taken charge to make a difference. You can make a difference in any way you can. You can take a political stance like we did back in the 70s, or you're making a difference right now in working to help clean air and clean water, or you can make a difference by kind of, you know, being a teacher in a school and helping young kids kind of like think the way we want them to think. You know, but don't, I know you feel defeated, but it's a myth that you can't do that. Now some of the marches, whether, whether we're forcing our kids to go on these marches or not, well, I certainly don't force my kids to go on them, no one forced me to go on them. I don't think it's so much the marches, it's people feeling we've got, I've got to do something and my voice can be heard. You know, it's funny though, thinking, hearing what, what your daughter was saying, and, and we're, all, we're all guilty of uh, feeling like she has at one point or another over the years, depending on where we are. But you know, I do feel like we are in this kind of um, situation where we go, we volley back and forth between sort of this grandiose thinking like it's all over, and I, I'm, I'm powerless to do something about it, to feeling like, it's all over because I'm powerless to do something about it. And I feel like that's a, that's a really bad sort of thing to be in. That's sort of a, you know, oftentimes what people who are depressed feel like or, you know, bipolar. We're, we're kind of in this, the way that we're sort of approaching this, even just from a yeah, cognitive standpoint. Nothing can puts be us done in, about yeah. Nothing can be done. So, yeah. so we, you so know, we alternate between. So myths, screen them in a polarized. No, it's a really good one. But you know, that just back to the myth itself, like there is data that shows that when kids have experienced trauma, one of the things that they say is the most important reason why they've gotten over trauma is because of that one person in their life. That made and a difference. That, that made a difference. Yeah. So there's a lot of data that shows that we can make a difference in very small yeah, ways. So and and Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's the most robust predictor. Exactly. And it doesn't have to be a therapist. Wait, wait, what's it, the most robust right. predictor? Having somebody uh, Some. who cares about you, who's interested in you, and um, helps you to, to chase your dreams. So that's, so to end, yeah. this, to end this segment of shrinking it down, maybe what we should do in summary is not think so grandiose like some people on media. Well, it's okay media. to do we both. All, we all do. But no, I, we, I think we can think big, but, 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 but if we can do a little thing. It's like one of my medical students, was a funny thing, this guy who actually um, had four tours of duty. He was a Marine. He was a, a pilot before he went to medical school. And, um, and he had four tours of duty, two in Iraq and two in Afghanistan. And one of the things he said in one of our seminars was, I want to do something unique and special for one patient on the wards every day I'm up there. I have lots of stuff to do, I have lots of stuff to learn, I have lots of stuff to do in the charts and lots of stuff to kind of help the team, but I want to do something, one thing that I'm not supposed to do that's really helpful. And that struck me as kind of really being exactly what we're talking about. I would even take it a step further. I would say you need not be the medical student on the wards. Oh. You can coach the town soccer team and show grace and dignity for the eight-year-olds when they get frustrated that they've lost. I mean, these, these moments are being watched much more so than we think. I and mean, we actually know they're being watched. Everybody films them now. So they're, what you're doing shows up. And if you can just shake hands with the other coach, like that's a huge difference. Mm -hmm. and, and it's happening well, not as sometimes much. Sometimes just being aware of like, opening the door for someone who's got 
lots of bags in their hands or just yeah. there's small gestures that we can do. I mean, it, it sounds right. trite, but it, it know, really is true. Well, I, I was watching a ball game and um, who, Lorenzo Cain made an incredible catch and the guy who hit the ball tipped his hat to Cain and Cain tipped his hat back. Yeah. It was, it was <laughs> awesome. Like this ball should have been out of the park and it wasn't. And I thought that. That's a great example. There's yeah. That's a great example. I, th yeah. I think it's awareness of others um, and, and empathy. I think that's the one thing we've kind of been talking about but haven't really said. But it's sort of empathy for other people's experiences that may or may not be like our own. So send us some comments, some feedback. Um, visit us on, our, on, on Clay TV and come to the website. And um, we'd like to hear from you. I'm Gene Baresi. Steve Schlossman. Thanks. Thank you.